Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. It's a penalty for the U.S. Pulisic! Barries it in the upper 90! And Villavar, wow. it's a penalty for Mexico. Wow. Past the 120th minute. Guardado from this spot. And he's denied! Horvath with the save of his life! And there's the final whistle. It is a milestone moment for this marquee generation of U.S. internationals. It's been a year's worth of individual successes and now punctuated by first collective triumph. Yes, big win. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. Joined alongside, as I am every week, with media executive Grail Hallett and the Over the Ball producer and Syria Oz specialist, Syria Oz, something we will not be talking about very much today, Sam Griswold. Today on OTP, we catch up with the armchair analyst, Matt Doyle. He's a senior writer for MLSsoccer.com. And, uh, oh, but Matt is so much more than that. I enjoy his writing, his opinions on the game. Don't always agree with him, but uh, the man knows his stuff. So we need to get more people like him covering this uh, this great game. So we get caught up with him. We continue to talk about and uh, break down this Mexico game. So Costa Rica tonight, guys, uh, this will not be coming out until tomorrow. So we really can't comment on what happened, but we'll talk about what we anticipate um, between each other and also with Matt. Um, but amazing big win for us, guys. Uh, I love the sway and the swagger, the confidence. These guys fought hard, uh, which I think had been a bit lacking. And uh, during a tough match, these youngsters found the intestinal fortitude to get a big win in dramatic fashion over Mexico uh, of all teams. And uh, hey, look, guys, everybody, including us, wanted a Mexico-U.S. final. That's what they got. And boy, what a game it was. So let's go over that today. Uh, but first up, guys, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm over something not related to the U.S.-Mexico game. Uh, I'm over reading up on the Euro and, you know, trying to find out about all these teams. I'm just, I'm just over like a little bit of context not being thrown in when people mention, you know, Scotland qualifying for their first tournament since whenever, uh, you know, without mentioning that the tournament has expanded by eight teams. Uh, and that's really the reason they got in or like Wales fairy tale run to the knockout round, which, you know, now has 16 teams instead of eight. Um, so let, let's get these are these bit. are teams that Grail refers to as powder puff teams. Let, let's get way. a little bit of, uh, of context. Sam wants to throw right. a wet blanket over the fairy tale. The f- <laughs> no fairy tales in Sam's house. Uh, give me that. See, when you have kids, you're going to be like, stop dreaming, young lady. Nothing's going to happen here. Grail, what are you over? Well, apropos what we're about to talk about, uh, I am so over the Mexico anti-gay chant that always erupts at every game that they play in. They've been (laughs) warned so many times. So this is my solution, okay? In advance of any tournament that Mexico is going to play in, the organizing body of that tournament is going to say this. If your fans do that homophobic chant, you will forfeit that game. So you know what happens then, Grill? All the Americans get down in one corner and they all start pretending they speak Spanish and yell (laughs) and yell and yell puta. And and then that's it. Wait a minute. This sounds like people. This sounds like, you know, the whole thing about Antifa protesters dressing up as Trump supporters. Trump supporters. So all of a sudden the U.S. fans 
are going to become Mexico yeah, exactly. fans <laughs> and shout. All right, all right. Well, how about this though? Sticks so and stones. It, sticks and stones will break my butt. But you know, look, they've got to do something about it. But I'll tell you what. How about the bottles and can? What is wrong with the Mexico fans? Give me a break. You know. Well, I mean, I mean it's we, absurd. We, it's absurd. It, people in glass houses, though, Flinny. Remember, Knicks fans threw a bottle, uh, spit on uh, Trey Young, and then uh, a, a Celtics fan threw a bottle at uh yeah you know, all, so. right, all right all right whatever no, so, I mean, all i'm saying perfect. is every game it is that mexico terrible. just let me finish every game when we play mexico they throw bottles i know one guy threw a bottle at kyrie irving and he got escorted out of this out of the stadium you know he was getting arrested so that's what should happen to them apparently mexico those guys so were right arrested there. so that's the good news well one guy fans. was uh yeah. one guy was but uh you know yeah. the other thing now with puta that where they say that name is the guy kicks the ball which is an offensive term uh we're all adults here on this show though and cancel culture come on come at it um they say that what bothered me was i thought the united states had mexico a bit on the ropes and they have this suddenly three minutes we have to kind of yeah. get a breather, get some water, get a composure. Tata goes over, starts talking to his team. Um, I don't like that. We get punished because their fans are yelling that. I'm yeah. more concerned about the stuff they throw. Well, they also didn't do a good job of the broadcast of saying that there would there was already a warning that had been issued. I, I had right. no idea. They had done so, it but, but how does that hurt the Mexico? How does that hurt Mexico? I, again, I'm, just, I'm tired of like three different warnings and you're out and then we do this yeah, yeah. and that. It's just like, guys, if you do this, you're going to forfeit the game. Well, I would just say that um, they start to say they start to limit the amount of Mexican fans that can come to a game. It's like you you only have instead of uh, having a 40 percent allotment, you get a, an 8 percent allotment. And, yeah. and if that happens, you get 6%, then 4%. Then, you know, it's like, and then you're going to have one guy just yelling, put that, put that, you know, from the stands. That's, <laughs> and we can't hear him. So that's over. Game, game over. So I'll tell you what, uh, I, I tell you, I was out in Nantucket. I'm getting ready for the Nantucket Comedy Festival. It's, uh, by the way, sold out in 70 minutes. Love that. Oh, uh, my God. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I was out there. But thank God, man. First of all, I watched it on Univision because they didn't have Paramount Plus out at the, at the bar that I was at. It was a sort of sports bar. It was on CBS place. Sports Network. Yeah, but that's part of Paramount, but no, that's not... No, Paramount Plus is the streaming service. CBS Sports Network is on your well, cable system. Well, Mr. Media Consultant, we, uh, <laughs> I watched the rest of the game on Paramount Plus on my computer. Good for so, you. Uh, which, you know, which is, uh, which is fun, but I was out in Nantucket, and uh, now I'm back in Connecticut for my mother's 88th uh, birthday. I called Happy this, birthday. I called her this morning. I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm help, helping an elderly couple move. I'm like, how old <laughs> Who are, are you? these people? Oh my God. <laughs> she, she's, she's 88 and she's calling other people an elderly, elderly She's helping an elderly oh, couple move. God so. bless your mom. And then uh, I head to Atlantic City this uh, this weekend, Sunday through uh, Saturday. I'm at uh, the Borgata, so come on out. Nice you, uh, tickets available, or did that sell out too? Tickets available. They always uh, are. I mean, they're you know, it's an hour show. They get you in and out. They want you to gamble, but uh, that's okay. That's how yeah. they make their money. So, so guys, the U.S. Mexico game. Wow. Uh, let's get your thoughts first up. Um, let's talk a little bit about the broadcast booth because we always talk about trying to put an American stamp on this game from the broadcast booth. I liked a lot of what I saw. I didn't like some stuff, but I tell you what, um, Clint fooled around a little too much, but I liked that whole energy and that swagger that they had in the booth. Um, I thought Gooch was good and Charlie mm. Davis will be good as well. And then Maurice is getting better and better. Muse to do. Um, yeah. He had I the, thought, uh, yeah, who's no, the guy I, doing the play-by-play? Cordero. 
Cordero, um, Cordero yeah. who does, uh, I think he might do Inter-Miami inter games. I mean, he does a bunch of other stuff too. I, I, that's I, them trying to lure in the Hispanic community. Yeah, which I, like. thought, I, I, th I thought he was a little too frantic for me. He was, uh, he could learn something from our friend, Sam Griswold in terms of his- uh, Being chill? <laughs> no, just pace, no, just, no, but just pacing. Like not, yeah. I mean, you know, when we had John Strong on, on OTB, he talked about statistics and not the need to not jam all of them in. And this guy- was like a statistics spewing machine. It was just nonstop. I, I thought I thought Adu was good. I thought uh, you know in, in the uh, in the in the, the analysts uh, there were, they just didn't need three of them. And so yeah. I would well. I, I, I thought Gooch was the MVP of that group for me personally because I thought he was just he was on point. He's a very sharp guy. And um, and he made and he makes bold statements which I like. And and He's, Dempsey he, and and yeah. Charlie I thought were okay. Three of them, three of them in the booth, I kind of felt a little bit probably. like I was back in the locker room, you know, exactly. hanging out with the guys talking about it. Sam, what were your thoughts? Well, that's exactly to me what they're trying to create. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, Matt made an interesting point, which, you know, you'll hear later, but um, Matt you know, Doyle, Matt Doyle just up. about the, uh, you know, the energy that was needed and the enthusiasm that was needed and that really that was what this game was about more than X's and O's, which I, which I think yeah. is a fair point. Um, that said, I, I do think there's room for someone like a Matt Doyle, like a Grant Wall, like a Jeff Carlisle to, uh, to just give like a little more of a tactical breakdown and kind of help right. people understand what's going on. Cause there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in this game that, uh, you know, wasn't really mentioned at the time. Uh, I yeah. also, you know, I have no problem with these ex players being able to, you know, share their experience and stuff, but I don't, I don't like, like you're saying, Kevin, trying to recreate this locker room atmosphere and like, well, what must Burhalter be saying right now? What are you feeling? Yeah, in that's that a locker very room? American thing. And I, I don't, don't know, guys. I, I, you know, I, I disagree a little bit, Sam, only because, you know, uh, I was never fortunate enough to play against Mexico and be in that mm -hmm. locker room at Azteca. Mm -hmm. And I think they try to translate the experience of like, hey, man, you're in the locker room, altitude, everybody's throwing stuff at you. You know, how does it feel? How do guys react? And I think what happens is one of those games, when those boys look at each other in the locker room, you get like this galvanized feeling of like, hey, guys, it's us against the world. They are, yeah. you know, and it kind of, and I think you need a former player to sort of state that. But I think also to your other point, I think, I did want to see at least one analyst sitting in there breaking things down for yeah. us. And then the guys bounce things off and ask a question that a player yeah, would ask. I, I, you know? And I thought, and I thought the guys honestly kind of a bit to your point, Sam is I felt like they were part of the team. I mean, <laughs> they were, they were rooting as much for like, they were an extension of the guys in the field. Like, they, they I were, don't, I don't mind that. I didn't mind that no, at all. No, right? I, I don't mind. I don't mind it to a point. You listen to the Mexico game, the Univision game, even the of replays course. that they showed, the replays that they yes. showed were always pro Mexico, always pro Mexico, yes. you know, yes. and when they were flopping and stuff. So, and I'll yes. tell you what, even we can get to it in a little bit, but the VAR, I think if we didn't have VAR, we would have been screwed because we don't get any calls. We don't get any calls, even when we're playing in the well, United the States. Well, the Pulisic call wouldn't have gone our way, and the goal by uh, Corona, I think, on the header would have been allowed. So we would. And, and how was the Pulisic not a penalty kick? How was that like in uh, what I, world? I, that took a while for me to be convinced. I needed to yeah. see a few looks at that because I wasn't sure if he just kind of glanced off a guy. I mean, I've got to say that was the best thing Pulisic did in two games, other than converting the penalty, was he went at guys in the box. 
Well, we talk about that a little yeah. bit with Matt about yeah. Pulisic kind of didn't show. And, you know, and part of it is I think he was trying to do too much. Yeah. And I think he has to pick his spots. And I think Berhalter's got to take him aside and say, hey, look, man, you're you're, you're one of the best players on our team. Obviously, you've just had this great season. Uh, play your role. Play your yeah. role. Do what's expected of you, not more. You know, and but yeah. and and uh, he showed time, though, because he did it in uh, when he had to. Um, he roofed that kick, you know, it was uh, oh, man, well was taken. He wanted he, it bad. You yeah, could tell he, he didn't he didn't hesitate at all. Boy, he had taken a very soft penalty against Switzerland or somebody in one of the friendlies. And I thought, oh, I don't know that we should have him taking penalties. <laughs> and th this one was definitive. And and then, of course, just rushing over the Mexico fans with his shirt off to get to just absolutely egg them on. And then all the stuff started coming out onto the field. Oh, uh, don't blame somebody for what happens because of what they're wearing, Grill. I just, uh, <laughs> I, I just want to back up a bit yeah. to what you were saying earlier, Kevin, about the the locker room analysis. Like, I, yeah. I'm all for guys sharing their experiences. I think that's very interesting. What I don't like is when they try to get people who are not, you know, in the locker room or part of this current team to sort of explain things that are happening in that locker room at that moment. Because I think every team dynamic is so different. And every player, oh, I, I see what different. you're saying. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, the it, way it, it, I, so yeah. Th that's all I'm saying. It, well, it, it also becomes a little bit of an inside joke between the three of them when they're talking. I felt like mm -hmm. there was a little bit of that stuff going on where they were like <laughs> three guys who hadn't seen each other since their last college right. reunion, and they're needling each other, which is fun for them, but not necessarily for the viewers because I don't, you know, yeah. no. And but that's why I liked Gooch is I thought Gooch really kind of you know, made definitive statements and you got to love him. He's a defender. So he was faulting everybody out on the pitch and in, in the midfield and the right. forwards for not pulling their weight. The defenders Tracking were back, great. Yeah. Everybody else was the problem. Of, and Speaking that's an VAR, interesting point. Sorry. Speaking of yeah. VAR, what, why is the monitor, why in the world is the monitor right between the two benches? So, yeah, the that's crazy. so the people manager can wander can over. over and, you know, have a look and get involved. By the way, well, how, you know, look, yeah, go look, ahead. VAR, it's all new. So they're going to they'll find their way with this stuff. But I want to just go back one more, you know, just a bit here for the broadcasting booth. Yeah. You know, we've talked about, you know, look, back in my days, you uh, live in and rooming with Desmond Armstrong, trying to get African-American players to play um, and trying to figure out ways culturally to make it happen. Um, we've talked about the Hispanic community in this country that was undervalued, basically, uh, and with positions on the national team, tough to get discovered, the pay for play model, which a lot of players have to go through. Um, this, for me, was very refreshing because Gooch, who's slimmed down, by the way, he looks, remember how big that, that yeah, man he used looks, to be? He looks well. Yeah, he looks good. You know, he's doing yoga and Peloton, probably. That's what he's doing. But I think we have Kate Abdo, uh, you know, African Abdo. Uh, descent, right? Abdo, uh, Gooch. Charlie Davies, then you have Maurice Adu. So, like, wow, it's been, uh, there's been, there's, I think, yeah, that's, well, not even diverse actually now, because it doesn't seem like Clint seriously wants to sort of be considered a journalist. He was just there for sort of, uh, he was the comedic relief. Well, he had, he had the sunglasses that kept coming on and off, uh, whatever that Sunglasses, he has the coat, but he had the attitude. He's that got that yeah. text to swagger. I thought it was fun. A little much of it, again, just to put a button on this, I thought, that would be fun, but just put one analyst in there as well. Somebody who knows the games. Look, look, you, you know, we have not to keep talking about Mike Noonan, but we have coach Noonan on this show. Uh, and then I talked to him afterwards. I'm oh like, he's spot on with stuff. And you're like, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. So a player reacts one way and a coach reacts well, another way. So you could have Kate, you could have Gooch and you could have an analyst. 
I, I honestly, right. I think that's more than enough. I don't think you need four people. Right, right. Well, anyway, they're, I, I love their picking and poking and trying things out because yeah. uh, for too long, uh, they've just done this cookie cutter sort of, you know, these broadcasts, everybody across the board. I mean, Fox did try to do an American broadcast, which I uh, applauded. Um, yeah. But but every time, you know, Kate, Kate Abdow, she's like just a hired gun. She goes to Fox, ESPN, over to this, CBS, at TNT. Right. It's like, wow. Um, you know, well, you know, I mean, hosts are particular types of talent who do tend to jump around well, within within sports too. I mean, imagine it works. Remember Brent Musburger? He was on yeah. you know CBS or whatever forever. You know, yeah. you knew these you knew these broadcasters by their network. Now we don't. So yeah. Um, so players, uh, what a tough start we got off to with McKenzie giving the ball away. Uh, Grail, you were a little tougher on him. I I think he's a good player. I think I think he's got some composure there, and I think he'll develop into a good player. Um, well, you know, I think he didn't. Yeah, go ahead, Flynn. Yeah, I just, I just didn't think he panicked. I mean, he was trying to remain calm against Mexico. A little too calm, apparently, in that. Yeah, first I just thought, you know, seconds. you know, we've all played the game, and I think uh, this is just like a, a little insider take on it: is when you're nervous, you tend to underhit the ball. You don't overhit the ball. You actually underhit it. And and people are saying people use the term it was a lazy pass, which I hate too because it has a racial connotation when it's directed at somebody like McKenzie. It wasn't lazy. Yeah. It was nervous. It was a nervous pass because you know you're much better off hitting a ball hard because there's a lot less harm that can come from you overhitting a pass and underhitting. And he was just nervous. It was it was what four eighty uh, yeah. sixty two seconds into the game. And right, the, but and, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the pace of the pass was fine if it was a square ball or a little yeah. behind, but it yeah. was, he advanced it a little bit uh, with yeah. a positive pass. And that was just, he just got his foot to it. The Mexican player hustled, got he it, just roofed, and, it. Um, roofed it. But the other guy kind of uh, obstructed a little bit. It was a smart run and he couldn't get back at him. But I think he kept his composure throughout the game. I mean, he yeah. missed a few assignments, but um, I was overall pretty happy with uh, how they played and how they came out. Uh, it was, it was, I just thought there was, I thought the resiliency was the most impressive thing to me. I thought there were, you know, and and again, back to VAR, which disallowed their header, which would have put Mexico up two nil. That would have been the match in my mind. We were, we were on our heels then and it could have ended up being four nil or four one or something. So that, that really helped us. But, um, and classically, classically, we, we would have not gotten that call. It just doesn't happen. We, we really get kind of, we get the short end of the stick. I was thinking about this the other day. Not a, a goalkeeper never takes a kick where he stays within his box to kick it. it. He always comes out, always. And do you remember? I think we were playing Mexico, and um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. The other keeper, bald, played at uh, in the Premier. Guzan, Guzan, Brad Guzan. He got called for a handball just outside the box because he stepped out of the box on the kick. And I'm like, there wasn't one kick last night that that didn't come out uh, that way. But anyway. Um, Zach Stefan, I'm not so sure, man. I don't, I'm not so sure he's solidified that goalkeeping position because Horvath, he looked dice in the cross. Uh, he was strong on one, but he looks his his footwork is not the best. Uh, he does not look composed. He looks a little too beefy. I I don't know. Horvath played well against Honduras. Came up big against Mexico. Well, I don't know. I think that, we got a little got a little competition another- there. That's an understatement. And, and Sam, I wanted to throw this one to you because you're a big hockey fan as much as I am. You know, coming into a game, you know, if you're a hockey goalie, it happens more often you come into a game because either the starting goalie gets injured or he gets shelled. 
And then, you know, so you're ready as a hockey goalie to come into games. In soccer, it rarely happens. First of all, if you let in two bad goals, you usually don't get yanked. So it's got to be an injury. So to come in cold and mm-hmm. to put in that performance was just incredible. And that dude was as chill as Sam is on, on these broadcasts, man. <laughs> he really is. The, the you see, his eyes were barely open. He's like, you look stoned, for God's sakes. <laughs> the the other thing that I didn't realize is he, he really hadn't played much this whole right. season. I mean, so he was really right. coming in cold. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I you just can't be prepared mentally for that. I mean, it just no. – I don't know. Maybe it takes a little bit of the pressure off because well, you, you know you're you're coming in, but um, I, yeah, I'm super impressed. I mean, you don't even get to that. warm up. I mean, it's not like you know because yeah. Stefan kept trying to figure out if he could play or not. So you're kind of on the sideline. Maybe you're coming in. Maybe you're not coming in. Mm-hmm. And then Stefan finally comes out. But it's not like you've been off on the side with a mini goal with guys <laughs> shooting at you to warm up, right? Right. You're right. Just right. going in there cold and by the way he got tested immediately yeah right you know look guys is, i mean you know hockey go, like often a hockey goalie gets yanked when the team isn't playing well right and it's just yeah, a, oh, it's a message to wake guys up i've never yeah. seen that in soccer but that would be kind of cool yeah, I mean, I like let's say david up. de gea let in two bad goals which i've seen him do or like a top yeah. flight goalie just gives up two bad goals you never see them get yanked though yeah, because you screw with their confidence it. at yeah. that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of well, but also you you give up a you know, you give up a substitution. It it could affect things later on down the line. I you know, the the hard part, I think goalies are used to being cold. Look, field players aren't like yeah. to get substituted. The first thing I would do would be like, let me get my first touch or two in, get a little sweat going, get into the game. You know, uh goalkeepers are used to standing back there. I mean, how about us playing in New England in November and yeah. the goalkeeper is standing back there? for 30 minutes without any action. But, I mean, but, funny, surprised- but funny, he was coming into the cauldron. That was a truck driving by. He, he, was, he was coming into the cauldron known as the USA-Mexico match. So he wasn't just coming into a match. He was coming into a match that was already like a war going on. And, and well, his, thank God right. it wasn't a... No, his, his, his uh, tranquilo, I mean, the fact that he w- is a very low-key guy was so beneficial for him. Because it just didn't affect him. Sam, look at this now. Your Italian's coming up. Now he's speaking Spanish. The <laughs> tranquilo. Tranquilo. Um, but I, I think he played well. He was composed. And that, that penalty save was magic. That was man. a great that was, save. That was, yeah, that, was that, not, that was not like a bad kick. That was no, a that's really 80%, good save. 80% of the time that goes that goes in the back of the net. Yeah. So uh, and we'll, All right. So we'll continue to talk about this with Matt Doyle, who's coming up in a little bit. But um, – there's there's a few other things. We've got the Euros coming up Friday. I think it's it all starts off with Italy Port who's it? Italy Turkey. Portugal. Italy, Tur- Turkey. 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 It's named after a cold cut. The country named after a cold <laughs> cut. So um what are we guys what are we looking for in Euro? Uh Sam, you you looking forward to this? Uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm excited about the Italy team for sure. I mean they've they're playing always the Italians with the Sam. Most, always uh, always the, most, the English with Grail and the well, Italians. It's the opening game too. It's a big yeah, deal. They're playing the most interesting and exciting soccer that they've played as a country in a long time. Uh, they have a real good team identity, really good at keeping possession, pressing high up the field, which are not generally qualities that Italy are known for. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of enthusiasm for sure in Italy right now. I, I get a little worried about 
you know, the, something going wrong in the beginning, giving up a scrappy goal on a corner kick, and then all of a sudden everybody just reverting to their old habits or not really right. knowing how to deal when they fall behind because they've been playing on the front foot so much and had so much of the ball. So, uh, you know, it, there's some worries, but it, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward, obviously, just looking forward to seeing them in the tournament after missing the, the World Cup. But um, I think we talked yeah. about this at the end of last week. Who, who yeah. do you think is going to take the tournament? Well, Sam? Go ahead, Sam. Well, I, I think France are undisputably the most talented yeah. team. Um, I think after that, it's kind of up in the air, though. Um, and, I, you know, I will say, I, I do think, you know, I sort of started out the show saying this, but I do think it's kind of a shame that the Euro's gone to 24 teams because I, with 16, I just thought every game really mattered. I, I don't like that the third-place teams can go through in the group stage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and, kind of anticlimactic. You know, it, it, people say it's fun. It lets, like, more teams in. But I just think it, it dilutes the level too much. I think you. it plays to the Italians' advantage, the way they play in tournaments, just kind of park the bus. So, I'm with um, you, Sam. I think it dilutes the quality. But I, I have three tasty morsels on my, on my table coming up early in the tournament. First of all, obviously, the opening game, Turkey-Italy. I'm dying to see what, how Italy looks. Two days later, on June 13th, England-Croatia. Again, just obviously interested to see how England comes out because they often come out and stop Croatia, Croatia, two to one, two to one, Croatia. And then, and then, by the way, Tuesday, June 15th, circle this on your calendar France, Germany. That's a powerhouse. That's a powerhouse. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if Germany, uh, you know, can do go it uh, one more time for Yergi Lowe. This is Yergi Lowe's his yep. last go round. Yep. The down low with Yergi Lowe. That would be his German nice. soccer show. The down wow. low with Yergi Lowe. You, the rhymer. All right. Yeah. I was, well, I come up. I was going to do a bumper sticker for the comedy festival. Call it uh, "Say I'm Waxed, Vaxed, Relaxed, and Ready to Laugh." There you go. So <laughs> we're, all, we're all in a better place in this country right now. All right, guys. Let's take a break. When we come back, the armchair analyst, MLSsoccer.com's. Uh, I was going to say Matt Dowd. I was just watching the um, Matt Doyle. It is, but it, I was Matt Dowd is that uh, political MSNBC, commentator. Yeah, let me see. All right, everybody, you're listening to Over the Ball. We'll be back after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com/join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just four dollars and ninety cents a month, or forty nine dollars a year, and by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now at Over the Ball, he is a senior writer for MLSsoccer.com. I really enjoy this guy's stuff. We don't always agree on everything, but that's the way it works in this game that we know and love. Uh, his analysis is always solid, sound, uh, well-resourced, and uh, on point. Uh, we welcome Matt Doyle back, the armchair analyst. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you doing? We're doing well. We're still recovering from that great win against Mexico. Um, <laughs> you, you put out a great article that I thought, uh, you know, I think everybody should read. We're going to tweet it out. But you basically bring it down to three points. Uh, you talked about the shape change, transitions, and tactical adjustments that the U.S. team made and, and Mexico was making as well. And so speaking of analysts, to the armchair analysts, uh, there were no analysts in the booth. Um, I found that <laughs> sort of odd. Um, look, I really enjoyed that. We always push on this show, the, the push for sort of American, American broadcasting feel to these games that I think sometimes the broadcasters think is just an English game or, or um, a Hispanic game. 
So we had a bunch of U.S. guys in there. Um, three of the guys at once on, on the same panel, and I felt like I was back in the locker room, Matt. But um, <laughs> the, and the guys gave a real nice energy. I liked it. It was an American field and a good good vibe. A lot of fun. Clint was uh, going off on a few things, but I, I did miss an analyst uh, sitting there to talk about some of the things that you talked about in your article. So, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I actually thought the, the guys did a good job because more mm. than anything else, that game was about energy and it was about meeting the urgency of the moment and kind of understanding not just the stakes of the game but sort of the stakes of the opposition for the opposition because right. you know for mexico it, it after all this time it is still a national tragedy and embarrassment for them whenever they lose to the u.s and, and you see that in the way uh you know mexico's players tend to play these games. And I, I would say that for a good long while, um, El Chiri is, is coming to these games with much more energy and much more urgency than the U.S. players have. And that was actually beyond the tactics, before the tactics, any of that. My biggest question going into this game was, could this very young and, and relatively inexperienced U.S. national team meet that level of urgency to, to and do so to the point where maybe talent could be the determining factor. And, right. you know, so I, I thought they did that. And so I, I get what you're saying about the booth because they didn't really get into the X's and O's and, and, right. and pull apart the, the tactics. But like, it was like the tactics, as interesting as they were to me and to, and to you, I think they were secondary to, to just meeting the moment and, and matching or even exceeding that energy. Um, because we know, and you know, if, if you don't do that, um, you're not going to win many games. And that includes the game four years ago in Cuba. Like the, yeah. I, I've pulled apart the X's and O's on that one a million times and they're relevant. Um, but what is really relevant is if they had played with 15% more urgency in that game, we would have gone to the 2018 World Cup. We didn't right. because of that. And I think we all felt that. And the players were talking about that, you know, the X players in the booth there. Um, yeah. And I noticed that right away. You, you said they're a young team and they are relatively inexperienced they're gaining a lot of experience you know on a on an international level pretty quick i felt that they were more worldly though they were not intimidated by mexico and like the intensity that you talked about that mexico has man, if you don't come with that and match it you are in trouble from the get-go and they seemed this was the first time i saw this team come out alive really and yeah. fight fight for stuff you know these great players but they had a fight otherwise mexico will back you down yeah i mean <sighs> I think I largely agree with that. I will say that they showed fight um, in the previous competitive match, which was almost two years ago, the win it over Canada. Because Canada had taken the U.S.'s lunch money the game before that. Like, it was, you know, Gulisic and McKenney and, you know, a bunch of these star players went up to, to Toronto and, and got their rear ends kicked. <laughs> well, by, by Alfonso Davies, I think, man. It was like a one-man wrecking crew. Yeah, Alfonso Davies. But, like, if you look back at that game, like it was like Liam Frazier and Mark Anthony Kay just dominating central midfield against this U.S. team that thought they were going to be able to coast through it. So I thought the right. game after that, they showed some some fight and some resolve, and they ended up crushing Canada four one. But like, there's a difference between doing that against Canada and and taking a wild three two win against Mexico, and, and which is what we saw. Um, you know, maybe it was worldliness or maybe it was just a coming of age because whether you're, you know, 22 and Champions League winner or 18 and, and you know, playing in the Bundesliga, or like 
I am beating the same drum. You have to match that energy. You have to play the game with energy, and they did. Yeah, I think that's a good point too with the with the guys in the booth were saying like, this is Mexico, fellas. If you can't get up for this one, forget it. Yeah. Uh, Grail, you have a question? Yeah, Matt, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm just curious your thoughts. You know, we, we've got four or five players on this team who are playing at a high level over in Europe and they're playing with players that are exceptional. And then um, they come back and they play for the U.S. men's national team and they're just not getting service and stuff from players that are of like talent, you know? So for instance, um, you know, Pulisic is, has the likes of Mason Mount and people like that serving him the ball, et cetera. Um, and, and Pulisic, especially, I just felt like he, in those two games, actually, Honduras and Mexico, was just having a hard time, like getting the ball, having people find him, and you think I just love your opinion on that in terms of how much of it is just kind of adapting to the fact that they're you know they come back from this league where where they're playing with such high quality talent and then they're trying to mesh with some players that just aren't quite there. So I I think that's part of it, but it's it's one of the kind of a million different things. I mean, first and foremost, the international game is just a vastly different game than the club game, and, and it's the the golf in terms of what I would call on-field aesthetic quality um, between the club game and the international game is growing by the year um, to the point where you almost can't transport what you see good club teams doing to, you know, even the top teams in the world. I mean, like France is the best team in the world. They do not play pretty soccer, even though they have a billion dollars worth of talent on the field at any given point. It's not like, Playing pretty soccer does, you know, does not beget re results for in the international level. Um, so that's one. It, it just like that that style of play doesn't do. It. Two is that Pulisic, it, you know, bears a lot of the responsibility for that. He stunk. He was yeah. he was terrible mm -hmm. against Honduras, um, and then he was mostly really bad. I thought against Mexico, um, right up until he was able to make what turned out to be the match winning play. But if you go back and you watch that game, mm -hmm. turnover after turnover, he, yeah. he was, um, you know, he was trying to recreate Maradona's goal in, in, against England every, on every touch. He wasn't happy unless he was going to beat three guys off the dribble. And that is like, that is not the Christian Pulisic we saw four years ago in qualifying for the U S where he moved like an arrow. Like he was, you know, his, his off ball movement was so crisp and he was so decisive. Um, and, and he, I, I think part of it is him feeling like, well, I'm the $75 million man now. Right. The pressure's on me to do something special. And so he's trying to do that on every touch. And then the third thing is that if you look at where all this talent for the U S is, um, not a lot of it is in the sort of tempo setting central midfield type. Um, and that includes Weston McKinney, right? Weston McKinney is a fantastic talent. And we saw against Mexico just how devastating he could be in moments. Uh, he has never been at any level the type of central midfielder who puts his foot on the ball and starts knocking it around and, you know, getting, right. working it so that his teammates are in good spots. And that's something. Frankly, that's a part of his game. I think um, it is urgent for him to develop because if you look back at the way he played under Pirlo and Juventus, like Pirlo basically invented a new role for him. And with Allegri coming in, I'm not sure that role exists. So if, if 
if McKenny is going to stay in Turin, I mean, he is, he is going to have to get better at the very thing that, that you're talking about. Um, and then the, the other thing is, like, against Honduras, uh, Jackson Ewell had a shocker. You know, he's been a pretty good player for the U.S. Mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, but he was abject in that game. And then um, against Mexico, I, I think to get into the tactics, the way Greg Berhalter set up his game, he was like, his team, he's like, okay, I don't care if we have 40% possession. We're not going to try to beat them with possession. We're going to try to beat them in transition and on set pieces. So, I, I mean, I was okay with that. And eventually it kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think something, you know, to, Grail, to your point, you know, the teams like, you know, you're a Chelsea fan, you watch them develop over the course of the year, how they develop under Lampard. And then, you know, when, uh, when Tuchel came in, it takes a team a while to find their groove and find their sort of role on the team. And that's one of the challenges for a national team coach to come in and to fit all these pieces together. And then I say with Polisic, look, in my career, every time I went down a level, I, I tried to play like a different player. It's almost just the natural thing. It's like, you know, I'm defending at a high level. All of a sudden I go down a level or two. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to stand on the ball, start knocking it around. And and I think he just took too much on. Um, and uh, boy, you know, I think Brooks stepped up, uh, McKinney stepped up. There are some leaders on that team that I think are going to uh, relieve Christian of some of that responsibility. Cause I don't think he's sort of built for it uh, to tell you the truth, to be that go-to guy. He's mm-hmm. a, you know, even that super sub thing he had with Chelsea. So, um, uh, Sam, did you want to ask him that a question? Yeah, Matt, looking a little bit at the MLS guys uh, that were involved, you were really high on Kellen Acosta. Um, I'm curious where you think he stands now and, you know, who else, you know, sort of took a took a step forward or a step back in your opinion? So I, I would say that Jackson Ewell took a step back. I think okay. going yeah. into this camp, um, he Ewell was pretty clearly the backup for uh, for Tyler Adams as the number six. And, you know, Greg Berhalter said in, you know, a couple of pre-camp interviews, like this camp is big for, for Jackson because we want to see if he can handle the job um, stepping up a level against better teams and right. in, in higher intensity games. And, um, you know, I thought defensively against Switzerland, I thought he was actually very good, but he was, he kind of had the yips with his passing and it, um, if Jackson Ewell has the yips with his passing, he, he, you can't put him out there because he right. doesn't, he doesn't add value defensively. So he took a step backwards. Um, I, I thought Acosta did a good job filling in against Mexico in that dual pivot, um, which is interesting to me because it's like nominally he's the defensive midfielder there, but what was really happening is he and McKenney were sort of on the same line with, and McKenney had, um, freedom to push forward whatever he wanted, whereas Acosta was going to sit a little bit. And he did that job well, but there's a there's a ceiling on what he can do because he just doesn't find the ball a lot. If you look at the way great teams play or even very good teams play, um, you you know you need your defensive midfielder to get a ton of touches. You just need that. And, and that's not Acosta's strength. And I think that's why he's kind of capped out where he has, like even in MLS, for Colorado, like he's in a three-man central midfield, but that midfield does not belong to him. That midfield belongs to Jack Price. Um, so I, I think that is one of the things that, we, you know, he's trying to figure out and Berhalter's trying to figure out. And I think that is why we saw such a different approach to the game against Mexico compared to what we had done against Honduras and really throughout Berhalter's tenure. Yeah, and, you know, Kellen, I think, can play in a couple of different positions, and he did just the other night even. But, you know, Matt, to your point, he seemed to be able to play at a higher level a few years back. You remember Kellen was sort of 
he was doing playing well in the midfield a few years back. I do not know what happened though. No, I mean, he, don't get me wrong. I do think he played well, but I think mm. what his game is um, limits the, the, the types of situations in which he can play well. Like if you're going to go into a game where you're thinking we're going to have 60% of possession and we're going to rip this team apart with the ball. I don't think I like Kellen Costa is just not your guy. And he never has been because again, right. if, if he's in central midfield and you want to have 60% of possession, you need a lot of the game to run through him. And he's just never been that guy. I, I mean, it was kind of the, the case for him even way back in, in the youth levels with the U.S., um, which is why they ended up playing him a lot at left back when he was a kid. So it right. didn't shock me at all late in this game against Mexico to see him moved over to left back and actually do a, a pretty nice job. But I think that's who he's become, right? He's a utility midfielder who can help you in certain situations at a, at a couple different spots, occasionally fullback as well. And that's great. There, there's yeah. al- there's almost always room for a guy like that on the 23. We need that. So, but, but talking about the midfield, then who is the center midfielder who can step on the ball and start to pick out the channels and the passes that, you know, play the, I guess the classic Michael Bradley role that he, that the U S national team has had in the past. Yeah, it's not it's not 100% clear at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think in any um, big game, we would love to have Tyler Adams uh, healthy and available. I think he would have played the six from the start if, if he would, you know, have the minutes in his legs against Mexico. Um, and, and I love Tyler Adams. Like he's defensively, he, he is probably the best central midfielder that we've ever had. But he's never been a put your foot on the ball and set the tempo and spread the game out type of central midfielder. And I think one of one of the, the, the things I've been sort of tossing around in my head is over the last couple of years, when the U.S. have played minnows, um, like, like not even minnows, but like just teams that aren't nearly as good as what we've seen these last three games. Um, When we've had Jackson Ewell as the defensive midfielder, as the six, um, we have been able to rip those teams apart and score four, five, six goals, even without our top players. But transport over that over to, to Europe, when we've had these almost exclusively European camps and it's been Tyler Adams or Alfredo Morales at the six, um, it hasn't gone quite as smooth. Like we have struggled to put goals on, on some pretty bad teams. Um, yeah. And I think that that's the, the problem that, that Burhalter is trying to tease out. Like how can we become a team that does to smaller countries, that does to, to weaker competition, what Mexico always seems to do. And right now in central midfield, there isn't a one size fits all sort of yeah. answer to that question. Yeah, it's a gap. It's a hole. I'm uh, I'm concerned about it. Grail? Yeah, man, it, it seemed from the get-go that uh, Mexico decided they were going to work on Tim Ream. Uh, they felt that that maybe was a weak link, just having him out there kind of isolated. I'm one, wondering what your take on was that, because I've always liked Ream, but I tend to like Ream more in the middle, maybe playing with Brooks, it, you know, so, so he's not at all so exposed. He just felt like he was very exposed out there and they were running at him with pace. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of the things, anytime you're playing a good against a good team, it's kind of like a, a pick your poison. Yeah. Um, and the, like the poison on Mexico's left side was Tecatito Corona, who's, you know, a fantastic player and scored a goal inside of 50 seconds. Um, 
the the poison in, in the middle of the field was uh, Chucky Lozano, who's their best player and one of the best players in the in the region. And, and the poison on uh, the right side of, of Mexico's attack was Oriel Antuna, uh, who stinks. Who's just a, not like not a good player, and it shocks me that uh, Tata Martino keeps going back to him uh, and putting him on the field in big moments. And I, I think what I saw from this, this formation that, uh, that Berhalter played was, it was like, look, we, we trust you to, you know, do what you can to slow those attacks down, um, but also to, to pinch in um, and track runners into midfield when it's Chucky Lozano playing as a false nine, um, trying to drag, players out because we would rather have to deal with Antuna up the right side than deal with either Tecatito Corona um, getting up the left side or cutting inside or Chucky dropping into midfield, getting on the ball and having space to turn and attack a backpedaling back line. That was the nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can't, you can't snuff out every type of, possible attack against a team as good as Mexico. So I, I think putting Ream in that situation was Berhalter's way of saying, like, look, you, you've played this before. We, we trust you to make the right reads. And when we have to scramble, we will know how to scramble together because it's you and it's John Brooks and, you know, on, on that side of the field. And then you'll get help with, uh, you know, Acosta and McKenney tracking back. And I thought, generally speaking, we did a good job. So uh, no Chicharito. Um... Yeah, yeah, if Chicharito's there, I, I, I think maybe the scoreline would have ended up differently because then it wouldn't have been Antuna on the right side. It would have been, I think it would have been Chucky Lozano on the right side and Chicharito making those devastating runs. Runs, yeah. Yeah, and there was like, if you go back and watch that game, the couple of times Antuna got on the ball in position to cross, like he didn't have, like there, there were no dynamic runs to, to pick from. And I think, if the form Chicharito's in that that would have changed. That would have been different. Yeah, that was that was that was surprising mm-hmm. to us. So um but Chicharito as well. Um so changes for tonight. This is gonna go out probably tomorrow morning, so we're not gonna be able to talk about the Costa Rica friendly, but um what do you anticipate this evening that Greg will do? Um well you know, in the in the preview tweet that the US soccer handle put out, they 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 put used a picture of Daryl DK. So I will be upset wow. if we don't get All to right. see yeah. <laughs> yeah. if Daryl DK doesn't start then uh, I will be a, a little bit upset. Um, I I do think that we are going to go back to what we saw against Honduras. Obviously not 100% across the board in terms of personnel, but certainly in terms of approach to the game. Like, okay, we, we did what we had to do against Mexico. We can still play against the ball when we need to, but let's keep you know, on this path that we started under Burhalter, where even against the likes of Honduras and Costa Rica and Canada, we are going to try to, to break these teams down with the ball. And I don't know if that means Jackson Ewell's going to get a start again as a number six. Maybe we'll get to see Kellen Acosta try to fill that role um, right. and show that the ceiling is higher than, than what I have interpreted it to be. Um, but I, I expect the game to look a lot like the game against Honduras. With just with with some guys playing for time. I mean, because we're getting in crunch yeah. time here, so it's now or never tonight for these guys. Sam, 
Yeah, um, Matt, looking ahead to the, the rest of the summer with the Gold Cup and MLS season, uh, you mentioned both uh, Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman as potential center backs you might like to see in there alongside John Brooks. Um, so I would love to hear you just talk about those guys for a minute and then maybe any other MLS guys you think might be getting a look at the Gold Cup. I mean, I, I think that the Gold Cup roster is going to be um, almost entirely composed of MLS guys. Uh, from what I've heard, the, the only European guys who are going to be called in are probably Luca Delatore um, and, and maybe Julian Green. Um, and the, the, the reasoning for this is like, it's twofold. One, um, you know, the European season has just ended and cutting into that by bringing these guys to the Gold Cup is a good way to get um, a lot of soft tissue injuries. Uh, and two, a lot of our players in Europe are in situations where they need to be there for preseason so that they can win jobs. So that they're not sit, you know, so they're not riding the bench throughout, uh, you know, all of autumn when we have nine uh, World Cup qualifiers. So, given that and, and where the the you know MLS season is, I, I just I would expect it to be um, I would expect it to be super heavy with MLS guys. The ones I'm interested most are the ones who solve problems for us uh, potentially along the back line. Obviously, Walker Zimmerman and, and Miles Robinson is. is as you mentioned, I think those are like, I, I think both those guys are better than Mark McKenzie. Uh, I'll just, you know, better than Matt Miazga as well. Um, and they're both a plus targets on set pieces. So right. part of me is thinking like, okay, if we can have Brooks and, you know, either Robinson or, or Zimmerman and Weston McKenney, and then a forward out there, we are going to be devastating on set pieces. And that's yeah. important to me. Uh, that's one. The two is central midfield, solving the problems that we were just talking about. Like, can we be a team that's really good playing against the ball while at the same time being good with the ball as well? I'm not talking about someone who could supplant Tyler Adams, but someone who could do a lot of the same job he does, um, but still be someone who orchestrates. There are a ton of great chances. Eric Williamson has looked really good with the Timbers in that role. Um, I love James Sands, though he uh, is not the greatest passer of the ball. Well, he's not the bravest passer of the ball, I'll say. Um, and then a little further upfield, um, if Paxton Pomacall is healthy, um, which he has been, I mean, look, AC Milan was ready to buy this guy. Yeah, I was impressed with him. I was impressed with him, Matt. I really was. So we got a we have a full summer of soccer coming up, so it's going to be an enjoyable summer with a lot to watch. We before we got on air, you mentioned uh, the All Star Game. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? What you guys have planned? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's going to be August twenty fifth. I think is the date, and it's um it's finally the 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 one All Star format that actually interests me a little bit. It's it's MLS All Stars versus Liga MX All-Stars. So you're going to see the best uh, of our league versus the nice. best of our neighbors to the south. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure it's going to be as intense as USA-Mexico, but it would not it would not shock me if it approached that because I think there's a lot of pride <laughs> of course. online. Yes, of, of course. Yeah. And that makes some good viewing. So, uh, And sometimes those are boring affairs. So this will definitely amp it up, the uh, the emotional element as well. So, well, Matt Doyle, the armchair analyst, uh, love what you write. Um, we're going to tweet out that uh, that article when you broke down the game against Mexico. But uh, we appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball and uh, look forward to hearing from you throughout the summer. You got it, boys. Take care. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. 
All right. Always great talking to Matt Doyle, the armchair analyst. Sam, um, I think he even had more questions to ask him. We all had to go. He had to go. Yeah. Well, not for him, but you know, he, he, he made sense of a few things that I, I wondered about, um, you know, at certain points during his answers, but, uh, you know, I, I did want to just go back to a second on the game as a whole. We talked a lot about the individual performances, um, and mm-hmm. Matt, Matt really did break down the kind of what the U.S. were trying to do, how they were set up to sort of, uh, you know, stymie Mexico, playing more of a reactive game, I guess, than being like in control of the ball. But um, I don't know. Did you guys feel like that was very apparent watching? I mean, it, it, to me, it was it was very clear what Mexico were trying yeah. to do and whether or not that was because of what the U S were doing, it was hard for me to tell, but you know, they had Alvarez come back between the two center backs, get the ball. I mean, this, you know, this is what they wanted to do. It didn't happen. Every yeah. time. He would work it up to the wing to Lozano or to Lainez. And, you know, they seemed to try to attack cut in from the wing and then either shoot or maybe play a ball to the back post with someone cutting. That seemed to be like their ideal movement if they could do that. And I, I, maybe it's just the, the opponent and the way they were set up, but to me, the U.S. attacks felt like a little frenzied and a little half. Yeah. And I mean, I think if I'm looking over at the last two games, you know, the three goals that were scored during the run of play all came Set from pieces. Weston McKenney headers. Yeah. I don't, that's know, a, I guess, that's a, that's a dark spot actually. It's a, it's, you know, I mean, it's really a is. huge win. And like, as you know, Matt was saying too, like you kind of throw the X's and O's out with a game like this, but I, right. I still do kind of wonder about what was really going on. I don't know. Maybe it was clear to you guys. Well, I thought the first 20 minutes we were kind of uh, all over the place, to be honest with you. And by the way, when you're scored on in the first minute, I think whatever plans you had, you get thrown like turned upside right. down because you're, mm-hmm. you're in a state of shock, frankly. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they, and then they scored again, 20 minutes later or whatever on that, on that header that was disallowed. Against, so I, I think against the run of play as well. I thought yeah. the U S kind of rebounded well and they maybe deserved one, but then they gave up on the counter there. Yeah. I just felt we were floundering a little bit, uh, Sam, in the first 20, 25 minutes. And then we found our footing a little bit more. We got into the game a little bit more, but um, I agree with you. I mean, I just, I, I thought it flowed a lot more for Mexico. Mm-hmm. I, I felt a lot more concerned when they were attacking us yeah. than feeling good about. Well, you we always do. Them. They're, yeah. they're danger. But I, I, I felt kind of like the U S was in control in a lot of ways. They didn't back down to the Mexican team. They didn't lose their composure, even when they were down. Uh, yeah. That two goal, if it was a two goal lead would have been tough to, uh, you know, to, to respond to, but hey, they did. So I tell you what, what I'll tell you what, what just quickly is I, I didn't know much about uh, Leonese. Yeah. Came on. Holy smokes. Yeah. He's something <laughs> that guy should be starting. Yeah. That's all I can say. And we're lucky that Chicharito didn't play because Chicharito right. is our worst nightmare. Well, building up that, I, I was surprised to see Lozano playing as a false nine. Cause I've watched him play in Italy these past two years. And he's usually been on the wing generally as a right winger, not yeah. cutting in as much. Um, but I thought he was really good as a false nine. And I wonder if the U S couldn't use Pulisic in that way because I think they, I think they tried, didn't they? And when he first kind of came out there, they're trying to use him as that. And uh, it didn't quite work because he, yeah, he's talking about get him to the outside, make the slashing runs in. Yeah. I still like him on the left coming in what the way he was originally playing for Chelsea, kind of the Azar position. But it just seemed like the last two games, people were onto that and it wasn't working. So I think a little more freedom to roam could be a good thing. Yeah. All right. Hey, so uh, Gray, I wanted to ask you what the numbers were like for Champions League and, uh, and for the U.S. Mexico game. Um, Yeah. Let me go, let me go to the chalkboard here. So, (laughs) um, yeah. So, 
So Man City, uh, the, the final the, the final viewers were 3.65 million. That was between CBS and Univision. So nice. that ranked at the uh, number two uh, in the top five most watched finals, which is great. Um, yeah, are the women's are any women's finals in those top five or top ten? Yeah, well, I, they 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 uh, do the ratings separately for those, and I don't have those in front of me. Um, it did outdraw the Liverpool Real Madrid uh, 2018 final, uh, and it was it's second only to the Barcelona Man United 2011. Wow, final. I remember so, that one. Yeah. Uh, reasons to be proud, good for CBS. CBS yeah. must be feeling delighted. Um, and uh, the other thing that I thought is really interesting is, uh, you know, one of the advantages of having the soccer and CBS is how much they promote it on the golf broadcasts. So right. when I'm watching the Memorial or I'm watching, uh, you know, the Memorial <laughs> tournament this past weekend, they were promoting the nation's league. Now, yeah. As they were stripping a man with a six stroke lead with <laughs> no, COVID. Exactly. No, <laughs> God. no, no, no. I, I, I want to dig deeper to find out like, you know, the crossover potentially between the golf viewer and the soccer viewer, obviously, they're just, you know, they they just see it as an opportunity to promote it to, a, good. to a sports audience. I, I think it's great when Jim Nance is doing an on-air read about a Champions League or a Nations League. I'm like, shit, we've arrived. I thought it was yeah, really cool. Legitimacy. So, yeah. uh, all right, Sam, you have a quiz for us today? Yeah, I do. So we've been talking about VAR uh, a bunch today. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. I hope you didn't. But there was a recent um, survey done by the Football Supporters Association, which is in England. Uh, of more than 33,000 fans uh, on the impact of VAR and mm. their its effect on their enjoyment of okay. the game. So I got some percentages here. Let's see if you guys can guess them. So first off, what percentage of fans surveyed that had experienced VAR in stadiums said that it made the game less enjoyable? Oh, 70, I'm gonna say 72%. Lot. I'm going to go with 80 95 percent yeah. <laughs> god go. i know I, I see fans. it what percentage of fans that had watched matches on tv with var said the same thing that would be my 72 percent. i'm gonna say somewhere in between i'm gonna go with 85 okay 94 percent so okay wow. so the, the exact same everybody even watching it, it. even <laughs> watching it. it okay what percentage of fans in any category in stadiums or at home either strongly or slightly disagreed with the notion that var has improved the accuracy of decisions 68 percent. i'm going to say 85 78 percent with okay. 56.5 strongly disagreeing and 21.5 somewhat disagreeing okay okay of season ticket holders pre-covid what percentage of fans said they would go to fewer matches in future due to VAR? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say half, fifty. I'd say twenty percent. Thirty-nine percent. All right, we were about right in between. Close. What percentage yeah. of regular, so non-season ticket holding fans, said they would go to fewer games in future due to VAR? Eight eight percent. I'm gonna say thirty-five. Forty-four percent. Oh okay. wow, I'm way off on that one. What percentage of fans of any category said they thought VAR had impacted their club in a positive way? That's going to be they, low. They support. I'm going to say a 20. positive way. I'm going to yeah, say I'd 20. Say, yeah, I'd say 20 as well. 
Everybody thinks they get screwed. Four. Four. <laughs> oh, God. No. Well, that it answers a lot, man. Such a man. depressing group of fans. Well, what, everybody gets screwed, they think. Yeah. You know? What percentage said they thought it had a negative effect on their clubs? Keep in 95. Mind. Well, so, no, just, there's also, there's oh, also the option for, you know, it's had no effect. So it doesn't have to necessarily be 100. Okay. What percentage of fans of any category said they thought goal line technology had had a positive impact on the game? 99. Yeah, I'd say 89. 97%. Yeah, it's, there you it's go. great. It's foolproof. All right. So the right. biggest issues, just the takeaways, the biggest issues cited by those surveyed um, in their hate of VAR is one, the time it takes to make a decision. Two, That's the, a killing, the killing of the spontaneity of goal celebrations. And three, the lack of communication from officials on their decisions. Yeah, um, I, I think they're all fair points, uh, Sam. I just, again, I, I, I still think the benefits far outweigh the. I mean, I hate right. waiting. I hate waiting too. But guess what? In the U.S. Mexico match, we would have been down two 0 were it not for VAR. Yeah, because we don't get any calls during those games. I'm telling you, I sound like the people who are complaining and were surveyed, but that's uh, and it the was def- and it was definitive, but it was close. That's the thing is, you know, the way VAR is, but the, the guy was like a foot mm. offside, but you know, a, a lines person didn't catch it. So, again, I'm still pro VAR. I'm sorry about and that. A, and a woman, a linesman, a woman there, and I yes. thought it was great. This is a you know what soccer is changing things with the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. We're taking it on. We're taking it on. We're, we are the change. Be the change. Although there was that. just very quickly on that point, a lot of racist stuff came out against McKenzie, the defender who made the gaffe. I'm so you know why? You know why? They went after him. I mean, you know why? Because there's because there's racist out there. Yeah. And they're bad, and they're bad people. So exactly. Um, and the guys out there uh, playing, uh, you know, giving it his all, and people are pathetic sometimes. So hope you're not listening to this podcast because we don't want you. We all don't. right, guys. Um, that's all the time we have today. Want to thank our our guests the armchair analyst uh matt doyle um, from mlssoccer.com for sam griswold and grail hallen i'm kevin flynn we'll talk to you next time we got the euros coming up this week we got uh, well we won't be able to comment on it but the Costa Rican game tonight england oh you with the english stuff <laughs> kind, of, kind of irish catholic guy are you Azuri, Azuri. Azuri. so uh, i'm all alone here just rooting for the u.s men's national team all right guys good stuff uh, matt thanks a lot we'll talk to you next time everybody on otb